Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc, on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about our church or to support us financially, visit newgrace.cc. Listen, I've got a word for you. So I want you to get your Bible if you've got it with you and go to the book of Ephesians and the second chapter. The second chapter of Ephesians. I want you to put your radar up and on over the next couple of weeks because we're going to be talking a lot in light of what God's doing in our church and us moving into position ourselves for 2024 and launching two locations. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about the opportunity that creates here at the church and the opportunity that you have to be a part of what God's doing here. And listen, I don't, I don't, like even now, what we're talking about, what I'm saying, I don't want that to be white noise to you by any means. I want, I want that to be something that causes you to lean in and and not lean out. I I really want you to lean into what God's doing because here's the reality with us working through this on-ramp into this new season of growth and opportunity, that opens up positions for volunteers to plug in and help make things happen. And I'm going to show you this in a few weeks. I'm going to show you the dynamic that's at play here. Because when that location launches in the south, it, it creates an open door for so many of you that are North Banks County or Habersham or White County to to not only take ownership in making this your church, but you get to help make some things happen here. And I'm going to be talking a lot about some areas that we're going to encourage you to consider, to pray about, and to say yes to, especially when it comes to serving with kids. Because you and I both know that in 21st century culture, there's one thing that a church has to have, and that is a healthy children's ministry that operates on Sunday mornings. And, and the idea that you and I could just come in here and we, we, can, we can get and we can take and consume without contri- contribution is, one, contradictory to the Bible, and I believe it's going to be contrary to what the Holy Spirit's going to be doing in our midst. And and I want to just say to you, I'm going to be encouraging, encouraging you a lot over the next couple months about saying yes to the need of the next generation right here on Sundays at New Grace in Baldwin and, of course, in commerce. So I want you to be expecting that because I truly believe this is an opportunity not just for collective growth, but for individual growth. I I think, I mean, it, it happened like this for me. It happened like this for Pastor Jeff. It happened like this for others. Leaning in and taking that step and going, you know what? I've been living on this side of the line and I haven't really surrendered to what God wants to do with me especially when it comes to his church. And, and I, I'm comfortable on this side of the line since I became a Christian. But what would it be like if I stepped over that line and I surrendered into the things God was doing in and around my life? That is something I do not want you to miss out on. And so let me encourage you with this. We're going to start a series today right here at 11 that we endeavored to start at 9 o'clock today. 
But in the introduction, just that little conversation I was just having to you at 9 o'clock, I'm talking the Spirit of God just began to move on this place and move on me. I never even got to my scripture. And next thing I know, we're going to John chapter 6, and I'm preaching about the little boy with the sack lunch. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you care anything about that word that God gave us this morning and about how it may apply to your life, I want you to catch the audio. Jessica, Lord willing, I want to have the audio for nine and then the audio for this. I, I, I don't feel moved of God to change the message right now at 11, but I need you to know something about me. If I'm working through this content and the Spirit of God goes, hey, knock it off. Let's talk about this. Or if he says, shut up, let's pray. Or we're done. I, listen, I, I don't know any other way to do it. If you'll notice, you didn't get a printed order of service when you came in the door. Every week we have a plan, but at the end of the plan, the plan is always, let's just go with God. I want you to know something about me. I don't care what time it is. See, some of you get nervous right there. You get nervous. You're like, oh God, I'm glad we sat in the back, Sally. We can get to that door in time. Listen, listen. I have been in so many settings where God just steps in a room and he begins to minister and he begins to speak and everything we thought we were going to do that day goes out the door and the Holy Spirit, I, listen to me, I don't know about you, I want to be a part of a church where God shows up, Jesus gets glorified and people have a real life encounter with his spirit. There's a boy that's been coming He's been sitting right there. He sat right there on the front row about four weeks. And he moved to right there. And, I, and every, every Sunday, like a sponge, he's just leaning in and he's looking at me like this. He's probably early, he's probably 30. I don't know how old Sullivan is. They come from Pendergrass, Georgia, all the way out here. Somebody invited them. They've been coming out here now for two months. And I've been watching God squeeze on this guy. And I watched him go from curious to convicted. And I've watched the Spirit of God begin to convict him. And as we were preaching this morning and the Spirit of God was working, I, I, heard, I heard the Holy Ghost say, it's time. That fruit is ripe for the picking. Let's do an invitation. And we did. And let me tell you something. Before I even got through with it, that boy had tears running down both sides of his face. He, he bowed his head. He prayed and he trusted Christ this morning and gave his life to Jesus and was saved. I thought we were going to knock the roof off of this place and start another remodel project before it was over with. It got good up in here. I, I, listen, I live for that. Watching life change happen in people. That's why we do what we do. Don't ever get this twisted. We exist so people e experience that. That's new life in Christ. If you believe that this morning, can we just give God? We were able to see someone come to a genuine salvation. Can we give God a praise? There was a young man sitting back there. Same thing happened for him this morning. Gave his life to Jesus. Met me in the back, just still drying his tears. 
And you know what? It ain't like they never been around church or never heard about God. But when it, when it becomes real and it becomes personal, that's what I live for. Can I teach this morning? Can I introduce a series to you that we're going to work through over the next few weeks? I want you to take your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your place right there in Ephesians 2. And I want to read a scripture that's going to set the tone and set the table for our series. The prophet Ezekiel said, it's on the screen for your reading in chapter 22 and 30 of his prophetic writing. Speaking on behalf of the Lord, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But what a sad phrase follows. But I found none. God was looking to stay and keep his judgment from upon rebellious Israel. And he says, I look for a man who was just and right in the ways of the Lord, a man who could lead ungodly Israel back to the ways of Yahweh. He says, I sought for a man who could stand in the gap between me and humanity, me and my people, me and the congregation of Israel. I looked to and fro for a man. And he says, I found none. I want to preach today and for a couple weeks on this series thought, Bridging the Gap. I want to talk about bridging the gap. And I want, to, I want to show you a correlation in this passage and others, ladies and gentlemen, where there is a gap between humanity and God. There is, let me put it this way, there is a need. There is an opening there is an opportunity. There is a gap that must be bridged. It's enlightening the more you dive into the theme of your Bible and you begin to realize that there is so much more than meets the eye on the surface. When you start in Genesis and by the time you get all the way to Revelation, which we will probably see here I believe in a few years unfold before our very eyes and unravel like a scroll. You see a continuous storyline and it reveals this overarching theme of something we would consider a cosmic war. Church, there are two forces that are contrary one to another. There is the element of good and the element of evil. There is light and there is darkness. There are two opposing sides, one that is made up of God and the other that is made up of the personality and the identity revealed in our New Testament as Satan. And in our natural state as a human race, we war against God. Now, I want you to understand what I'm saying when I say that. In our natural inclination, in our natural instinct, it becomes very common and it is normal, it is natural for us to oppose the things of God. It is natural for us to rebel against the things of God. It is natural for us to sin against the person of God. By nature, you and I are naturally separated by or from 
God. Now, why is that? Because we inherited the very genetic code and the spiritual DNA of our greatest forefather, Adam and his wife, Eve. We were born into a world with a fallen sin nature. And by default, we come into this world in opposition to the things of God, which leaves us with a very big question. How in the world are you and I supposed to bridge this gap that has been created between us and God? I don't want to assume because we are the rust of the buckle of the Bible belt right here in Northeast Georgia that everybody in the room understands or knows the answer to that question. Too many churches do a disservice by assuming assuming that the congregation is 100% Christian. Just like we do a disservice with attributing the idea that our nation is a Christian nation. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but I don't see anything that points to the reality that we are a Christian nation. People know of God, but do they know God? Better yet, Matthew 7 begs the question from what Jesus said, does God know us? I never even heard it put like that all the years of my life until I became a senior in high school and God began to work in my life and work in my soul and work in my understanding and I finally became a born-again believer. I was wondering, how do we bridge the gap between us and God? I'm so glad y'all asked that question. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to look at it very quickly with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Notice what Paul says. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. Now, that's a religious insult. The, the Jews who were part of the circumcision covenant with Abraham hurled religious insults at the Gentiles. What's a Gentile, Pastor Derek? A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. You know what that means for most of us in this room, if not all of us? We're Gentiles. We are Gentiles, not Jewish, not of the covenant or the testament or the contractual agreement that God originally had with Abraham and his people, the Jewish congregation. So what they would say is they would call them uncircumcised. Remember when, remember when David and Goliath, before, before, the, before the beef actually came and the rubber meets the road, remember before that actually happened, they were, they were talking smack with each other. And, and Goliath was insulting David by his gods, and then David got real personal and hit Goliath where it counts. And I don't mean with the rock, I mean with the insult. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. Dang, David! Why you got to go there? It was more than just some kind of insult regarding his physical status. This was an insult that rooted back to an animosity between Jew and Gentile. So he says that the circumcised, the Jew was calling the Gentiles, which is us, uncircumcised. You're not a part of what we have with God. He says this, in verse 12, that at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And look what he says about us. We were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In Bible college, I worked at a credit union. 
with a lady who was going to a progressive modern church. Very similar to this, except they had a very watered down theology and a very watered down grip on the gospel. And I was talking to Mary and I was explaining my testimony to her and how I became a Christian and got saved. And I talked about being lost and I talked about how God pricked my heart with the gospel and showed me that I needed to be saved. I believed his word. I responded in faith and I got saved and I was no longer lost. And she looked at me and said, Derek, I've never needed to get saved because I was never lost. I was like, stay right there, Mary. I said, excuse me? She goes, well, I I mean, I've always been a good person. I've been in church my whole life. I never had to get saved because I never was lost. I've always had God. Derek, don't you know we're all children of God? I was like, Mary, give me one second. I took her to Ephesians 2. I read that verse. I said, Mary, I want you to listen to this. It says that we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the covenants of the promise. We had no hope. And look at this. It says that there was a time when we were without God in the world. She said, that's not talking about me. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's highlighting a gap between God and man. In fact, there's two gaps. There's a gap between Jew and Gentile. There's a gap between Gentile Jew and God. And then he says this in verse 13. I'm just going to teach to you quickly. But now, everybody say now. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, or you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a hopeful reality. We have been brought into proximity, nearness with God through the blood of Christ. Now, how did he do this? Watch this, verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Verse 14, he says peace. Verse 15, he says peace. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached, there it is again, underline it, peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. For a few minutes, I want to teach. Now, if y'all get with me like y'all know to do, I might preach. But if y'all, if y'all want to have a glorified Sunday school class, your boy's ready. I'm going to teach, and maybe we'll preach a little bit. I want to preach, or teach rather, on Jesus' peace of mind. Jesus' peace of mind. The Bible says in verse 14, can we walk through the text? We got it back there. Just follow along with me. Go to verse 14. He is our peace. Who hath broken, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Verse 15. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. I want to show you the kind of peace Jesus made possible. First, Jesus made a religious peace possible. I'm just going to hit it and quit it. All right, you ready? I'm going to hit it and go real fast. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus made a religious peace possible. Now, what do we mean by that? Jesus made peace possible between Jew and Gentile because there was enmity. There was animosity. There was this religious wall between the two. And the Bible says, and go to verse 14. Let's break it down. Let me teach it. I'm going to, we're going to do old school. We're going to walk through the scripture. Jesus is our peace. He hath made both one. What does that mean? He made Jew and Gentile one. They used to be separated. According to the law in the Old Testament, that law of ordinances that was in those tablets and the other, how many, law, how many laws were there? How many commandments were there? Don't say 10. 613, very close. She's been listening. She knew there wasn't 10, and she knew there was about 603 more of them. 613 actual laws or commandments that separated Jew and Gentile. There was this animosity. Jews couldn't stand Gentiles because they looked at them with this religious indignation. Y'all will never have what we have. Gentiles had this, had this, this contrition, this, this, this despising hate against Jews. It was a prejudice of if we can't stand you and we can't stand your God. That's why most Gentiles turn to all kind of pagan worship. You see pagan worship of Baal, Moloch, Ashtaroth. You see all this Old Testament crazy idol worship because they they revolted against everything the Jewish people stood for. Jesus came, took the law and the wall that was between them and knocked it down. And the Bible says in verse 15, watch this, having abolished in his flesh, Jesus used his body in his death to eliminate the enmity or hostility that was between them. Go to the rest of the verse. And he made in himself of two, there were two of them, Jew and Gentile, he made one new man. That one new man, he made peace between them. So he made a religious peace possible. Tells us next, he made a reconciled peace possible. Notice verse 16. That he might reconcile both. Everybody say both. He's reconciling both unto God in one body by the cross. Let me break this down for you. Don't go anywhere. Listen to me. He reconciled both to God. Check this out. Reconciliation is the act of turning enemies into friends. It's the act of taking enemies and bringing them into friendship. I want you to see this. Jesus took both Jew, Gentile, knocked down the law, knocked down the wall between them, and he put in one body. What is that one body now called in New Testament terms? The what? Did you know that one body right there is not talking about his physical body? It's talking about a mystical body called the church. He took Jew, Gentile. He eliminated all of the religious separation, made them one. That one thing birthed at Pentecost after his resurrection and ascension is called the church. 2,000 years the church has been in existence. It's one body. It's one corporate body of believers. That's what the church is. Aren't you glad for the day that you recognize someone showed it to you that the church is not sheetrock walls, the sheet is not wood or metal studs, the sheet, the, the, the sheets of, of, pla of plastic, the sheets of glass, the sheets of, all that stuff is nothing but 
of building where the body. It says that he reconciled both unto God in one body, and how did he do it? How many ways are there to get to God? One. By, just leave it up there for me. By the cross. The cross is not just an emblem. It's not just a hallmark piece of jewelry that we wear around our neck. It's not just a symbol. It's not just a symbol that identifies Christianity or some kind of denominational religion. The cross was the means by which God reconciled humanity back to himself. I'm about to leave Sunday school, Derek, in the dust for about 10 seconds because I want to I elaborate right here. The cross is what made the difference between heaven and hell. The cross is what makes the difference between darkness and light, death and life. The cross is what makes the difference between the godly and the ungodly, the holy and the unholy, the spirit life and spirit death. Do I have anybody that is with me? I know it's dreary outside. I know it's cloudy outside. But honey, listen to me. I think we should strip the gears in our transmission and take a praise break for a second over the fact that God bridged the gap 2,000 years ago and he made a way for humanity to know him. The songwriter had it right when they pinned the words at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. The Gaithers had one thing right when they wrote the cross made the difference. I wonder if there's anybody on a Sunday in Baldwin that can help me just get happy for a second that's suspended between God and man hanging on a rugged tree was a lamb who was slain for the foundation of the earth that we who were sinners, we who were unrighteous might be made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Somebody help me bless him. What a, what a testimony of truth. In one body, by the cross. Jesus literally, can you see it? Suspended, hanging between heaven and earth, between God and man, Jesus was bridging the gap. Jesus was making a way for humanity to know God. And I want to show you something. It wasn't that God needed to be reconciled to humanity. It was that humanity needed to be reconciled to God. And here's the deal. This gap that's been created between man and God was a gap that man could not bridge. What was the prophecy? What was the prophecy and the request uttered by Ezekiel? God said, I look for a man to stand in the gap. Check this out. Check this out. I look for a man to stand in the gap, and I found none. So you know what God did? He took matters into his own hands and threw a virgin in Bethlehem. God dwelt among us wrapped in flesh, 33 and a half years, and God became the man in order to reconcile and make peace with humanity and Yahweh. He reconciled. He took the enmity. This is a different enmity in verse, than verse 15. The enmity that was between God and man. The hostility that God had toward man's sin is quenched or satisfied when man trusts in God's mean to atone for sin. 
God made peace with you when he sent Jesus to die in your place. I want you to understand something. The death of Christ upon the cross is not some vague, aspect, general, religious ideology that happened only in history. It was supposed to be something that happened to you personally. In fact, it was supposed to be something that happened for you personally. Because when Jesus died, God took all of his righteous indignation and wrath. You know what I don't like? I don't like when we get theologically twisted and we say that the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. We act like he's a different God. Well, at one point did God become different. He said, I am the Lord and I change not. How did God appease his righteous indignation towards sin? Where did sin begin? It did not begin on earth. Where did sin originate? In heaven. Sin originated in heaven. And that serpent brought sin to earth. And when man sinned, he brought a genetic spiritual DNA among the rest of the human race. I ain't got time to work this right now. I said Sunday school, not Bible college. He brought a, he brought a spiritual genetic code among the rest of humanity. And let me tell you how crafty God was. He said, the very woman you deceived and plunged into sin is the very instrument I will use God, God's smart like that. God got it like that. The very, the very thing that you plunged into the fall will be the very vessel in which I will bring the seed. Oh, you're not hearing me. Singular, the seed, who will be the Messiah, the Christ. You might bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And I'm going to use him to destroy the works that you've established in this domain. And so God took it upon himself. Why would God take it upon himself to make peace with you? Because there ain't nothing me or you, Jew or Gentile, is ever going to do to satisfy this war between us and the salvation that we have access to in Jesus. There's nothing we can do. So God took it upon himself, and he made this reconciled peace possible. But it gets personal, because then the Bible tells us that Jesus also made a relational peace possible. And this is where I want to close. Stephen, stand up right here for me, right here. Mason, come here. Hannah, come here. Yep, that's what happens. You are my seed. You will help me in this sermon. Check this out. Jew and Gentile. Mason, today you're Jew. I've never seen a Jew with cowboy boots and a Palmetto Moon shirt, but we set in trends, baby. We set in trends. Check this out. Check this out. Jew and Gentile, okay? What Jesus says when it comes to salvation, when it comes to knowing God now in this new covenant, right? Because it already says he abolished Everything that was in the law of handwriting of ordinances against us, the law. Now, how did Jesus abolish the law against us? He fulfilled the law. 
Jesus kept every aspect of the law. When he did so, that law that was against us, that shows us we're sinners, he took out of the way, giving us not law, but love. What's this? Not religion, but a relationship. And Jesus did this. He made the two one. So now it doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile. There are not multiple ways, the Bible says, to get to God. There are not multiple ways to be at peace with God. Jesus bridged the gap, suspended between God and man. He bridged the gap, reconciles man to God. And the Bible says, check this out. Go to my verses for that last point right there. What's this? Is it 17? And came, Jesus came. See, Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. God revealed himself to us in a bodily form because in our finite, limited understanding, you and I cannot conceive or perceive how to connect or relate to God. So what God did was he put himself in a touchable, tangible, hearable, seeable, feelable form of our being. He came, he dwelt with us, he lived with us, he died for us, he rose again for us to promise us life after death. He came, watch this, and he preached peace. There was a lack of peace between God and man. Jesus came and he preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were not. Now, has anybody heard Jesus preach? I would love to hear Jesus preach Jesus. But Jesus is not here in physical form. So when Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, what did he do? When he left, he said, remember the great call that is the great commission? Go and teach all. Hey, guys, it's been real. It's been fun, but I got to go back home. I got to go ascend to the right hand of the Father. I have to take my seat until I make my enemies my footstool and I come back in Revelation and take the title deed to planet Earth and put the devil and the Antichrist where he rightfully belongs. Until then, I'm leaving the sermon in your hands. Do you know how you find out about this peace between God and man? Jesus sent a message to you 2,000 years ago. And it is his spirit through his body, the church. Jesus is not going to kick that door open, come in here, take the mic out of my hand, and preach a sermon. Because he left it with his body, the church. Are we learning anything right now? I'm just trying to teach. I'm trying to unpack. He left us with a message. I've never seen him with my eyes. I've never even heard him audibly. But I did walk into a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church when I was 16 years old, and someone got up filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the truth about who God was and how I needed a Savior for my sin. And at the age of 18, I put my faith in something that happened 2,000 years ago. I believed in that. The message came to me 2,000 years later through a preacher, a part of his church, who was equipped and empowered with the Holy Spirit. And that is what opened up my eyes of understanding that I may believe and be saved. Go to uh, go to verse, I think it's 
18. Watch this. You see the entire Trinity at work right here. For through him, Jesus, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. Come here, Henry. Come on. Yeah, Henry, come help me. I need a Jesus. Come on. Jesus. Jesus made a way, right? Jesus made a way. He opened up the way of salvation for humanity. And then it says, for through him, we both, there it is again, Jew and Gentile, we both have access by one spirit. What brings you into a relationship through Christ to God the Father? One spirit. The spirit says, the way has been opened, the way has been made, blood has been shed, now look, you don't get here. You don't get here through any other way. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter if you join new grace. It doesn't matter if you turn over a new leaf. Turn over a new leaf. The whole tree's rotten. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you try to apply or acclimate to or assimilate into. There is no other way to God the Father than through Jesus Christ the Son. And Jesus said, no man can come to God except he be drawn. And who does the drawing? The Holy Spirit brings you into a relational peace through Christ who makes a way. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Go back over there. Go back over there. Back up, back up, back up, back up. Stop. At no point in the text does it ever say that God has to be brought to you. Watch this. Go back over there. Lord, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I need you to go back over there. At no point does it say the Father comes to you. Why not? Because he already did. Before you ever born, he came to you. That takes on a whole new meaning when you start thinking about what Jeremiah prophesied, where God says before you were even in the womb, before, before the miraculous power of conception happened, I foreordained my son to die for your sin. Before you even sinned against my holiness, I already made a way. Are you hearing this this morning? A relational peace. All of this is built on the foundation of God creating access. Faith creates access. Peace gives you access. So you can have a relationship, and God the Father's got a big smile on his face at all times because he's a friendly father. Do, do, do you see the work of the Spirit? Based on what Christ did, the work of the Spirit draws you into a relational peace with God. Y'all have a seat. Thank you so much. Now, I want you to show this. Jesus, you can sit down too. Thank you. I want to show you this. JJ, help me close. Here's what happens. I want to show you what happens. This is the pastor coming out. Are you ready? Access is supposed to give you assurance. You know something that, that, that haunts a lot of people that I've pastored over the years? is they forget how they got in this relationship and they think they have the power in their flesh through failure to mess it up. Wow. 
Nobody read me the fine print after I got saved and said, you're probably going to mess this up in the next 24 hours. Nobody read the fine print and said, you're going to sin a sin you've struggled with before you got saved. Nobody read the disclaimer to me or the disclosure. And, and I, remember, I remember feeling like when I failed, that I went all the way back over here on the other side of where Christ was. And I had disappointed God, and I had depressed God, and I had disconnected from my relationship with God, and I did not have a proper understanding of the permanent access that I now had through Christ. And what happened to me in the early stages of my Christianity, and it probably happened to you, I started living in a loop of guilt-driven repentance because in my mind, I had such a limited grip on the truth that I thought, if I will sin less, God will love me more. If I will work more, God will love me more. If I work less, God's going to love me less. And it took me, listen to me, it took me years struggling with guilt-driven repentance and work-based repentance all through Bible college. It took me years to recognize and understand the biblical reality that in my failure or in my sin or in my slothfulness or laziness or neglect or ignorance, God is no more disposed toward me when I perform as he is when I fail. There's nothing I could do that would make God love me more or love me less. But here's the deal. I didn't feel that way because in failure, you feel like a failure. In failure, you account and reckon that there's no way a holy God could ever love you or receive you or accept you or want you or give you access into a relationship with Him. And the reason you feel that way is because you are putting the emphasis on your performance or your perfection when God has already given the performance and the perfection through his son who bridged the gap. It was God that extended you peace through his son. And he gave you this access in a relationship by his spirit that you may be one with the father. So I say to you today, free yourself from that mad cycle of guilt-driven, work-based repentance. Free yourself, sir. Free yourself. Because there's nothing you need to do to add to what God already did. And there's nothing you could do that would take away from what God already did. If you believe that this morning, somebody help me give him praise that he's been faithful to bridge the gap and give us peace. People, people want peace from God when they're going through certain things in life. But I want to say this, more importantly than, than you needing peace from God, you need to ensure that you are at peace with God. Which begs the question in closing, is God at peace with you? Is Jesus your peace? Is he your peace? Or are you banking on something else to make peace with God? God is going to make sure that sin is paid for. What paid for yours? What is paying for yours? I have discovered, just in pastoring the last decade in this area, further south and coming up here, 
that a lot of people mirror the same kind of responses we see happen in the Japanese after World War II. Did you, did you know there was something after World War II called a Japanese holdout? There were soldiers and members of the Japanese Imperial Navy and Imperial Army that after World War II concluded and there was a call to peace, I didn't know this, there were members of the Japanese military that refused to believe that a call to peace had happened. They refused to believe that Japan had surrendered. And so there were remote islands and areas throughout that entire region where there were Japanese soldiers who continued to engage in active military warfare. In fact, there are documented holdouts through the 50s, the 60s, get this, as late as 1974. Y'all, the war was over in the 40s. And in the 70s, there were members of the Japanese military who refused to believe that peace had been made. Here was the more unfortunate fact of this history lesson. There were some who just didn't know that the war was over. Can you imagine 30 years after the war is over, you're still living every single day like it's very active? 1974, there were members of the Japanese military who just did not know that there was a call to peace. You know why that boy got saved this morning? Because two months ago, he walked in this church and he sat right there. And he did not know that there had been a call to peace. He did not know. And his curiosity moved him about 17 feet to right there. And for the last four weeks, he has sat right there. And he has been deciding in his mind if he's going to accept the call to peace or reject it. He found out. He positioned himself right here under the spout where the glory comes out. Right there. And for the last four weeks, leaned in. And I bet I drove him crazy. Because at the end of every service, the Holy Spirit would not give me liberty to do a salvation invitation. I was preaching to the church. I was preaching edifying, exhortation-based sermons to the church. We were talking about everything that's going on. It wasn't prime, nor was there freedom for me to go into that. And it was almost like God was just continuing to bait this boy in. And this morning when I was preaching and talking about the need for salvation, the work had already been done right here. And so when Sullivan stood to his feet this morning, he made a conscious decision to accept Jesus as his peace so that he could enter a peaceful relationship with God and not sit on the other end in opposition and contradicting the love that God put on the table for him. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted each week on Tuesday.